You have so much light behind you. I know. I could try to put this down. I don't no, have a glowing. It makes it, oh, okay. I'm at my. I'm eye. actually at the museum. I'm at. My I know. Eye. I can. Wow. I can tell. It's all very exciting. It's fancy. Welcome back to the Good and Grounded podcast, where we've been showcasing all the different ways we can get really grounded in the issues that are challenging for our current community, and then offering tangible ways for all of us to do some good and support one another. I'm Laura Love. And I'm Jim Licko. And in this episode, we're pleased to have not only one of Denver's most uh, top 25 most powerful women in business, but also one of the most well-connected, civic-minded leaders in our community, and I can personally attest just a generally awesome person, Andrea Fulton. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thanks for being here. So when Andrea started at the Denver Art Museum about, gosh, two decades ago now, she was managing a little old thing called Media Relations. Now, of course, she's the deputy director and its chief marketing officer of this incredible 125-year-old-plus institution. So I was lucky enough to sit on her marketing advisory committee for a few years, and I can certainly say firsthand that she was instrumental in not only her vision, but pulling in visitors from around the world and leading the design and construction of the current, well, at the time, $150 million renovation and expansion project. So it makes perfect sense why her walk-up song is Pump Up the Jam. She is tall, redheaded and a powerhouse of a business leader, a wife and mom. And when she isn't inspiring her two young kiddos, she is inspiring those on the Denver Metro Chamber Leadership Foundation, the Colorado Tourism Office and Cleo Parker Robinson's Dance Advisory Board. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you. I'm blushing. Such a nice intro. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew, I remember when I saw you back in April uh, and the museum had shut down temporarily due to the pandemic. Um, there was all this uncertainty, right? And and I'm sure there still is a little bit of that, obviously. Um, but you had just come off one of the most successful, highly visible exhibitions in the history of the museum with the Claude Monet exhibit, which was awesome last winter. And then literally everything went upside down over the course of like, you know, four weeks or three weeks or something. Tell us about that experience for the museum this past spring after being closed for over 100 days um, you know, not that we're counting or anything, but tell us, tell us about that experience and how you are now recovering through the summer. Uh, well, talk about a year of contrast. You know, I, you're right, Jim. I mean, we had had this fall that was unprecedented. We'd hosted the biggest exhibition of Claude Monet in this country in 25 years that we had put together ourselves and, um, had done really well with that. It felt like everything was just clicking finally um, at the institution and and, um, drew visitors from all over the world, record attendance. And then all of a sudden, you know, in March, I remember sitting there, I think it was like March 11th or 8th, um, and saying, this is really happening. You know, we're in touch with the city and, and realizing that the possibility of closure was upon us, which just had not been a thought, you know, to close the museum. And so I, I just have to say, we went to work. You know, I mean, we decided to close on, a, on that Friday. Um, it was March 13th at the end of business and uh, flipped a switch over three or four days and got the staff online. And for an organization who is deeply, deeply rooted in the physical campus, um, you know, as an art museum, objects are our gig and on live experiences are our um, our, our sort of product, 
we don't have virtual workers. We just didn't, we didn't have remote workers at the museum. And so it was a huge feat uh, to get everybody kind of trying to reconnect, new software implemented, all kinds of things happened. I'm so proud of the team, um, but devastating to see the campus empty. And, and it was fascinating because construction was exempted from closures. And so I was still running the construction project, which was slated to open at the end of May, actually that $150 million renovation. And so we had to really quickly pivot also and figure out what all our procedures would, were going to be to make sure the campus was still safe and secure because we have 24 seven people here. You know, we don't, you don't ever leave an art museum empty. Um, and so there was so much confusion about what it meant to be safe, you know, and, and how to keep those people who were keeping our campus safe, healthy, um, was just a, a, a scary experience, but also one that I think everybody from the second we learned about sort of how serious this really was, our number one priority was the health of our employees, without a doubt. You know, and I think every business probably had that same reaction, but there was never a skepticism around, you know, we, what to do. It was just get everybody home and get them safe and keep the people who need to be here as safe as possible. So it's been an intense several months. Um, but I think we've learned so much, just like everybody, you know, you just learn so much about the resiliency of your staff, of your donors, of your patrons. Um, and so we were closed for about 100 days. And during that closure, we actually finished construction. We installed two major exhibitions because we had artworks on the road. I mean, these shows get planned years in advance. And so we had artwork in transit, you know, major shipments of art that we had we couldn't just not be here to receive you know so we just changed all of our procedures figured out how to do that safely and then we started to slowly continue to install those shows in the hope that we would open we still didn't know if or when we would reopen but we wanted to be ready if we could to show people something beautiful You, you book these things years in advance and there's all these things that the logistical things that were happening behind the scenes that none of us thought about because we were all concerned about our own families and our own lives and things like that. I can't imagine how many different things like that were happening where you've got a traveling exhibit that's, you know, showing up in the middle of a pandemic. Um, real quick, I know you said, you know, some kind of semblance back to what's normal. What does normal look like right now and how do people sign up or, or, or what's the process look like for if people do want to come to the to the art museum? Yeah, so another sort of benefit of coming right off the Monet show is people got really used to booking tickets online, which was great because that's how you book a ticket now. And so it's really limited capacity. Uh, we're at about 25 to 30% of normal capacity, but you can go online on our website. You can book a general admission ticket. You can have it sent to your phone and just scan that when you come in. Um, it's, it's actually extremely safe at the museum. We have tons of room, so social distancing is not a problem. Everyone wears a face covering. And what's interesting and that a lot of people aren't talking as much about is um, is HVAC and sort of air circulation and how important that is to the health of a, of a space. And luckily for us, museums are like clean rooms. I mean, museums are some of the cleanest environments you can have because of um, the need to control the environment so, so intensely. But also we have a ton of air change out um, because we're constantly filtering the air for dust and, and um, particles to keep the artwork safe. So um, we feel really lucky that we have systems like that in place um, and, and that it's a relatively no-touch environment anyway. We've also 
been that way forever. You don't touch a lot of things in the art museum. And so while we've had to remove a lot of the hands-on experiences that we're so well known for and that we love so much, um, we feel really lucky that we can provide a really great experience on site. Mm, that's great. I mean, and you mentioned, you, which having worked with you, I get these, these exhibits are often years in the making. So as you think out to 2022, 20, 23, is there a new normal? I mean, are you planning for it to look the way it does now or is, is it going to look different? Well, I think we're still trying to answer those questions. You know, for us, um, each country has different sort of now processes and logistic concerns and issues in terms of customs and so forth. Um, and we deal with artwork all over the world. And so that has been an interesting issue for us in terms of trying to understand now looking forward all the way through 2021 and even into 22, we even have shows booked already for 23 and starting to reach out to those partners. But what's been really amazing, I have to say, is we do these shows with other museums, right? We don't do these shows by yourself very often, if at all, unless it's really from your own collections. And our, the partners have been incredible. You know, a lot of collegiality in trying to figure out our shows now, you know, longer than they used to be. Is it more expensive to do a show? That's a big one right now in terms of just does transit look different? Um, you know, when you have to create more space for people, you can sell fewer tickets. So there's a lot of business model implications. I think the field itself is so passionate about collaborating and continuing to make these shows and these objects available to the public that everybody's really coming to the table with their best ideas. Stepping back a little bit from the Denver Art Museum itself and looking bigger picture from the arts and culture scene here in Denver and throughout the state of Colorado, how is the industry as a whole holding up and how are other institutions, museums, attractions that are related to arts and culture dealing with managing the current state of what's happening in our society? You know, I think Colorado is such a is such a spotlight in the country in terms of its creative um, sector and Denver, especially thanks to the SCFD, right, which is the Scientific and Cultural Facilities District is the backbone of why the cultural scene in Denver is as amazing as it is. We are light years above cities twice our size, three times our size in terms of what we're able to produce and offer to our public. And so um, we feel really fortunate, frankly, that we were halfway through a year that was extremely successful for us and we were able to leverage some of that success to sort of keep us going um, for a little while, but it's devastating. And I think it's, it's arts plays such a critical role in my opinion, in terms of the well-being of a population, their creative output, their ability to connect the, the health and wellness mentally of people. But I also believe in the resiliency of this city. I mean, I think Denver is one of the most resilient cities out there and people I'm so, uh, I mean, I, it's just heartwarming to see the amount of outreach people have made to us in, in wanting to help and support and make sure that, you know, we, we see it through to the other side. Yeah, I think that's a good segue to, to how we always end these episodes is talking about one or two good things people can do in the community to give back, either in terms of you know, their time, their treasure, their talent. Are there a couple of things that you could offer to the listeners as far as ways they could give back, especially in the arts and culture world? Yeah, I mean, I will say, you know, for organizations like the Denver Art Museum, um, 
you know, and subs- people with subscription services and memberships, like just renew. Like if you if you can spare that fifty bucks or whatever it is to to stay a member, those kinds of revenue sources are incredibly important to organizations. Um, and they're all doing an amazing job of creating value for the for those folks, you know, who maintain those kinds of um, of memberships. You know, so that's one that that I've been talking to a lot of people about. Um, I also think just continuing to raise awareness, sharing out, you know, sharing out the content that people are producing, finding things that you think are um, enriching and sort of soul, you know, fulfilling and and sharing those with each other. So even not just the organizations themselves, but making sure that arts and culture still sit at the core of who we are as a community is going to go a really long way to helping us all emerge. Yeah, absolutely. You talked about resiliency, so I certainly want to end on one really encouraging note, which is the Martin Building. Tell us how you manage this type of project during the pandemic and what we have to look forward to. It's going to be so exciting. Um, The project, as Jim mentioned earlier, it's a $150 million renovation and expansion of the campus. And it's actually taking what I call the largest object in our collection, which is the Geoponte Design North Building, which was finished in 1971, um, and restoring it to sort of an absolutely stunning state. Um, And then we added a brand new welcome center onto the front of it. It's a 50,000 square foot round glass pavilion. and it just is creating a whole new feel to the Civic Center and to the cultural campus. But it's really centered around telling stories and it's about telling the stories of our collections and the many, many cultures that we represent um, from throughout time and around the globe. It's the home to the majority of our permanent collection galleries and it's this opportunity to just completely rethink how we share that with the world and whose stories we're telling and how they show up. But also the Welcome Center is a gathering place. And so it's people telling their own stories. It's people getting together to make new stories. Um, And we really feel like we're just creating this platform um, for the community to um, celebrate itself really and and create a sort of a center of gravity for this part of the campus um, down here in the cultural district. Mm, Congratulations. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I I think about um, the things that make community, you know, it's kind of an abstract thought that I guess a lot of people probably don't think about, but you think, you know, schools and parks and things like that that make community and the arts and culture, cultural facilities in a community are definitely one of those things. Um, and I think, you know, well, I guess what I'm taking away and what I would encourage everyone listening to do is once we're able to, and even now when we're able to do it distance, but once we're able to get back out there, like, you know, pour pour your money, pour your experiences, pour your time into getting back out to seeing some of these um, cultural facilities, seeing the art that exists in our community, seeing here, listening to the music that exists in our community and those types of things, because it's it's certainly a cornerstone of what makes Denver, Denver, in my mind, so. Yeah, and I would just offer one last thing, which is, you know, everybody's had this really intense time, right, in these last several months, and some of some people are spending a lot more time at home, some have more time to reflect, some are busy, busier than ever, but I think one thing that I've heard pretty universally to people that I've talked to is that they've had time to reflect a little bit on the pace of their lives and on what's really important, right? It's not often that you're sort of forced into these reflective moments as an entire, you know, world community. And and what emerges oftentimes are people 
sort of really thinking about what brings them joy, you know, what brings them happiness and connection. And I think that maybe this is an opportunity to not completely forget, you know, what we've learned in terms of those um, those things we want to hold on to, but but keep a little bit of it as the pace continues to pick up and we get back to kind of what used to be our normal lives. But hang on to that um, those sources of joy and happiness and connection. Andrea, thanks so much for the time. Thanks for telling us um, about how we can still enjoy the museum. Thanks for previewing um, the, the new expansion project that we can't wait to see. We appreciate you coming on and sharing the story. Well, I appreciate you all so much for creating a platform for people to learn about what's going on in these different areas. It's so important and you guys are so great. Each episode we close with one cool thing, um, trying to end on a high note. And I know this is a little bit counterintuitive when we're asking you to log into iTunes and go to a website and listen to a podcast on a digital device. But my one cool thing is a digital detox. Um, I went to Yellowstone, the Tetons for a week and um, had planned to do it anyway, but out of necessity, but out of, out of just totally not having a signal, um, I could not connect to my phone for a good four or five days. And I can't tell you from a mental health standpoint to get away from the politics discussions, to get away from what's happening with, uh, you know, positive COVID rates and all of that stuff. Um, even if it's just for a half day or something, I would encourage anyone listening to indulge in a digital detox, go outside, get some sun on your face, uh, and just don't pay attention to anything digital for a, a decent amount of time, if at all possible. And when your digital detox is over, don't forget to visit us on goodandgrounded.com, iTunes or Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you hear of a good story or you know of a strong leader that's willing to share the story and talk about some tough issues facing our community, drop us a line. So subscribe, share, and let's do some good in our Colorado communities. Take care. Thank you.